Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 103, the one about goodbye Twitter, hello X, pret price increases and the film Oppenheimer. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're back for more news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a digital marketing veteran. He's a speaker, trainer, and advisor with nearly three decades of experience who enjoys revealing visual storytelling techniques to help you build better online campaigns faster. Please welcome, all the way from La France, (laughs) Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Wow, thank you so much. You've just heard from my co-host, a marketing speaker and consultant who spent his whole career helping his customers keep their marketing simple but effective. He's the author of Cat's Master Marketing Plans and the creator of the Roger Rock video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, Pascal, here we are for episode 103, and we have got an absolutely packed show. In fact, we really are going to have to dive in pretty much straight away because we've got so much to cover. So much has been going on recently, Pascal, and what happened this week is the proverbial hit the fan, didn't it? With uh, Elon Musk deciding that Twitter is going to be rebranded as X. So the first thing we're going to do this week is we're going to devote the entire in the news section to this story. And it's multiple sort of miniature stories within the overall umbrella of that. But we also want to talk about the marketing of the recently uh, released film, Oppenheimer, uh, which has gone up against Barbie um, yes. <laughs> uh, in, in, in one of the most bizarre cinematic marketing duels I've ever seen. So lots for, for us to talk about in today's show. Yeah, and I mean, the, the Oppenheimer is a big one, as they say where I come from, and we are talking about it literally a week, exactly a week after its global release. So we're going to be talking about the marketing campaign. It's countdown to the premiere in Paris, oddly, starting in Paris, then London, then the US. And just look at, you know, what do you do when you have something that has the weight of history yeah. um, you know, b- behind it as well? Absolutely. So without further ado, I think we should dive straight into the news. On the 24th of July, 2023, Elon Musk unveiled a new X logo to replace Twitter's famous blue bird, the social media platform he bought for $44 billion last year. Musk's Twitter purchase and rebranding are allegedly part of his strategy to create an everything app like China's WeChat, which combines video chats, messaging, streaming and payments. In The Guardian, global technology editor Dan Milmo reminded us that after taking over Twitter in October last year, Musk folded the company into an entity called X Corp, whose parent's company is X Holdings Corp, which includes SpaceX, a new artificial company, XAI, and few other Xs. He's got a few, got a bit of a bee in his bonnet about the letter X, hasn't he? According to the recent article by Mark Ritson in Marketing Week, this rebrand is a mistake because Twitter is throwing away brand equity and because X is already used and is almost certainly unprotectable across innumerable business settings. On Monday, 24th of July, the police stopped to work to remove the old name from the sign of the company's San Francisco's headquarters as it failed to communicate with security and the building's owner its plan to take out the signage. And Elon Musk has taken over the at X Twitter account without paying its owner as part of the social network's ongoing rebrand. And 26th of July, Indonesia bans X.com under the country's laws on pornography. 
And you don't have to just listen to To Believe Marketeers. In 1989, Harrison Ford, who played Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade, famously said, X never, ever marks the spot. Do you know, Pascal, mm. I really don't know where to start with this. I really don't know where to start with it. Let me let me just put a bit of context in this. I've actually been involved in quite a number of rebrands back in my big corporate days. And let's be absolutely honest, a rebrand is a massive, massive undertaking. Probably there are two ways you can do it. You can keep your name and change your visuals, which we've seen Burger King do recently. They've undergone mm -hmm. a, a brand refresh, but they've kept the Burger King name, obviously, and they've just re revamped their visuals. Or, as in the case with Twitter, you can pretty much chuck everything away and come up with a totally new name and a totally new image. And this is what Elon Musk seems to have done. Now, it's absolutely staggering the way that he seems to have gone about this. Now, those rebrands that I've been involved with took months, if not years of preparation to get everything in line, to come up with the backstory, to come up with the brand values, to come up with the communication standards, to put together the brand Bible so that everybody knows what the visuals are, and then a massive communication effort to make sure that it all lands on the same day. So press releases go out, the media are briefed, the staff are briefed, everything happens really well coordinated so that it gets into the market and hopefully has a great chance of success and yet to me this just looks like elon musk woke up last sunday morning and said Do you know what um ceo we're going to change the name of twitter tomorrow to x i've just rustled up this uh, logo on canva get it out there as quickly as you can because i'm the richest man in the world and i just want it done I i'm staggered yeah, I mean, like you, I've had the, the pleasure. I mean, the pleasure of going through rebranding um, campaigns because they are there to be enjoyed. And the enjoyment comes from the planning, from the researching, from the audience, also participation. Because I think for me, what, what's missing is this idea of taking the Twitter community with you mm -hmm. on, on this journey of discovery, of resetting, of you know, reclaiming the, the space and so on. Uh, so it's practice reminds me, you're right, of a petulant entrepreneur that I've met, uh, either as an employee or consultant now, where they, they, they know that there's a better way to go about it, but they can't be bothered and they take pleasure in swift decisions, they take some pleasure in the rompers that comes with because, you know, we know it just enough about the character that is, is taking great pleasure in seeing the media and people like you and I discussing it, uh, having thrown a rock in the pond, really. And, and for me, there's almost this disregard and, and utter contempt to good practices. And I've got to assume that he doesn't do that with SpaceX. He doesn't do that with the um, tunneling boring company. He doesn't do that with the new XAI company this is just a pet project this is something that where you can somehow let go of the rules if you will and and do be more self-expression but the story of the logo uh, is weird as well because in some uh, circles you hear that it was part of a competition which i've never heard of but that's possible then he was allegedly donated by someone so i used to have a podcast with the letter x you can have this one and so on and then now we've heard from him and the ceo and i have to say 
when the CEO was joined less than two months ago, it's just thinking, so is that my job now to essentially correct uh, Elon Musk's tweet or by adding you know, information to pretend that all this was very well thought out and strategic? Um, what a, a weird role to have as CEO. Um, and, and, the, and this idea, therefore, that you know, we, we've seen the tweet, don't you worry, in the next few months, we'll improve on that. And in the next few months, you, you'll be able to understand you know, what this is all about. Um, yeah, it, it's just a, a bit too flippant and too... Um, Kind of uh, contextual in terms of um, how you do, you go about things, and I'm thinking, well, wh- where are the the marketing professionals in there working at Twitter? Are there any left? You know, because we know they sacked so many different people, and and I don't know, and and you know, the news that we've read shows, you know, even the the the, the owners of the building didn't know this was happening, and they they stopped the the workers. And there's a picture of a guy holding the letter T in his hands whilst the police is kind of hovering, and allegedly when they stopped, there was just a bird left with a letter ER left on the side of the building in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, let's be under no illusions here. Twitter is a global brand, and it's a very well-recognized global brand, and it has brand equity that people recognize. Mm. The blue Twitter bird is an an, an icon, a, a logo, a brand uh embodiment of that company pretty much everybody in the world whether they like to use twitter or not will have heard of twitter and it's become part of our culture because you know it's become a verb we tweet things you know until twitter came along tweeting was genuinely what birds did now a tweet means that we we write something out on Twitter. You know, it's become a verb like to hoover the house has uh, uh, replaced vacuuming, you know, and, and things like that. And we FedEx something instead of posting it. When you have a brand that becomes a verb, you really know you've absolutely cracked it. So this brand has massive, massive equity across the whole world and it has mm. such recognition. And yet he's dumping all of that and turning it into X. So we're not going to be tweeting anymore, apparently. We're going to be Xing. Now, to me, Pascal, this is like McDonald's changing their names to X Burgers tomorrow, or British Airways changing their names to X Airways, or any number of massively, massively, massively recognizable brands all over the world changing their name to something that nobody has any idea about and dumping sometimes decades worth of brand equity and and, and, mm. and visual references and, and values and again it just comes across as an ill thought out knee-jerk reaction by somebody who should know better you shouldn't know better and i've got to continue this argument that i am absolutely convinced that this behavior doesn't is not present when he works on the space mm-hmm. x and, mm-hmm. and others i want to go back to the one you read about the everything app but let's continue with x as, as a letter so i mean people who think that, well, anything that Elon Musk does is gold. Obviously, he's got his fan, almost like a rock star. You know, they can trash a hotel, but it's okay, they're rock stars. So, you know, I was talking to my uncle here in France. He was saying, you know, that it's almost like the, the, the champion complex or syndrome, which is once you've won a gold medal, Everything you do after that is just amazing, but it's not necessarily. So X, of course, is present a lot in in science. You've got X-ray, you've got the the Xbox and the Xerox machines. So X has always been around. We used to have the um, kind of Tomorrow's World type uh, TV program called Time X. So there's always been that, that, that element to it. But it's also linked to, well, you, you know, I read it earlier moment, to pornography. It's linked to, you know, crossing things out because you've done something bad. So, you know, the, the letter itself... It, 
it's, it's a whole spectrum of of meanings, which is why it can't be on its own. It has to be accompanied with um, you know other formal qualifiers, and. There's also this weird, you're right, you know, um, it's, it's almost like to me a, a, a motto of a gimmick of adding X to to everything. I mean, even the company called Alphabet has not gone in and called everything else A, B, C, D. You know, they, they have names like Google and, and, and whatever. When you have a holding company, you know, the product and the subsidiaries and the subsets of that holding company don't have to carry the name of the parent company whatsoever. You, you essentially come up with a brand that you know for a fact is going to um, you know, uh, be recognized and, and welcomed by, by the, the community. I'm going to finish on also the this thing about Twitter. It's always been a mystery to me why someone like him is that bothered or was that bothered to buy Twitter? I mean, let's be very, very clear. It is, um, you said it to yourself, you know, a, a really a beloved brand and an entity, um, but it's tiny compared to all the others. I mean, if you look at the meta ecosystem and if you were to draw a chart or do some, any form of um, representation, on, on average, you know, according to the experts, you know, any uh, Facebook at any month will have about 3 billion uh, active users per month, you know, around the, the globe. And, Twitter doesn't even come close with half, you know, half a, a billion. And then if you add on to that Instagram and Messenger and WhatsApp. So I never quite understood why we'd want to spend that much money on something that even he wasn't happy about. He said it didn't work and he sacked half of the people. Why don't you build one for you from scratch? Uh, you know, put it be cheaper than 44 billion. And then that links me on to, and why would you want to suddenly completely transform this into an everything app? Yeah, it, it, it's again, it, we come back to the fact that to do something like this, you know, a rebrand and a plan to move towards some slight, some sort of everything app requires a massive strategic plan. And it would take several years probably to get there. And you would take people along with you, as you've said. So maybe right. you mm -hmm. could say in two years' time, Twitter will become x because by then we will have built this infrastructure we will have come up with some new brand values uh, but to me again this just smacks of no plan no real idea it's just i've got this idea that eventually i want to take on wechat from china uh, and this is this is me just taking the first step without really thinking it through so i mean we did say when we decided to do a dedicated in the news about this X rebrand that we could end up talking about it for the entire length of the show. And I'm conscious that we shouldn't do that, Pascal, because we've got lots of great other content to talk about. But I think we will probably end up coming back to this probably several times over the next few months. And and who knows? I mean, in, in, in a couple of shows time, we might be talking about Twitter again, because he may well roll it back if, if he finds that it isn't working. You know what he's like. And we may end up just finding one day that the bluebird is reinstated and X is X. <laughs> Well, do you know what's interesting is, uh, in addition to you know our, our view shared by by many about, if, if anything, he, he, there was an opportunity here to show true leadership and to show it's true genius. This is how I'm going to show you you can do a rebrand and almost, if you like, show up all the other brands as opposed to being this kind of uh, exuberance of uh, someone that essentially has no limits. I mean, I can't imagine that he has a board of directors who say, Ilan, you're talking out of your ass and we can't do this. You know, there's no limit to what he does. But I, I was vastly, vastly entertained by a, a few tweets and LinkedIn posts, including yours. So um, 
on Twitter, you spotted obviously a Greg's who know, you know, as a brand, they know how to do marketing. And it was just absolutely, absolutely genius. And so you spotted obviously how they um, borrowed the the X and managed to insert one of their um, famous sausage rolls in there as well as an image. Yeah, I mean, it was very, very clever. And, and I have to say, I have to thank Elon Musk for giving me the opportunity to post the shortest ever LinkedIn post. It was just the X and the face palm emoji, and that was the shortest post I've ever put on LinkedIn. Okay, Pascal, let's stop talking about X now, and let's focus a little bit more closely on some individual content that we've discovered. So let's move on to the content spotlights. Okay, Pascal, what content masterpiece are you going to put in your spotlight this week? Well, actually, it is a masterpiece, and this is linking back to your comment about you creating the shortest post known to man on, on LinkedIn. I mean, it has to be some – you should be, you know, maybe putting it into the world of, of records, you know. Um, so this is a LinkedIn post with a video message from one of my kind of content marketing heroes, Ranch Fishkin, and it is all about his reflection on the impact of AI uh, on um, the search engine and the result you're going to get from AI-powered you know, search pages. And I liked it because, once again, it's about being succinct. It's about simplicity. So LinkedIn post, there's a video, and the video is actually really cleverly done. So imagine this is like landscape format, and one-third you know, from where I'm facing the screen, on the, the, the third on the left is this talking head, and the two-third on the right is a couple of visuals. And is able in one minute fifty seconds to put, a, a, put across a very, very valid point, and you just kind of watch and listen, and and you should see the the reaction in the comments below. So back to simplicity, Roger Edwards. Yeah. I think that there's a good example there, and that's what you're right. This is a, this is a masterpiece. But in terms of the message, I would encourage people to click on the link in the um, in the show notes. I, I would say that this is all about reassuring people that AI is going to bring about some element of change in what you're going to experience. But in general, you can argue that core principles are still going to be true. And so what Wrench Fisk uh, did was to do a test between search results on a normal search engine page results and search results using AI-powered solutions like Bard and, and ChatGPT and so on. And it was showing that there was strong, strong correlation between the two. There's not that much of a difference between the two pages of such results, suggesting that actually the two bits of machinery, if you will, you know, the mechanical search and the AI-powered search are, are using the same data source. Mm. And as a result of which, he was encouraging everybody to go back to, if you think that someone's going to do a search on not necessarily who you are, but what you do or what you can do for them, and those keywords are very, very important. And if you believe that the future is, a, is about more AI-powered search results, can you please uh, ensure that near your brand name, the presence of those keywords are indeed, you know, there's what he called the um, keyword co-occurrence, uh, are those keyword present next to your uh, brand name in a form of text in particular. So I recommend that people watch it because A, it's very brief. It's a good way to see what you can do with LinkedIn by using a bit of imagination and keeping it simple. But it's also a reminder that whilst in the white noise of um, hey, 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 I kind of bloating or the headlines and so on, if it's not X at this moment in time, people could forget that it's actually pretty damn simple. It's that cause and effect of 
you know, who are you? What do you offer? What can you do for people? And are those claims present in copies, either from your platform or your uh, on your social media, on your PR press releases and so on? Can you maybe go back to reminding the world what you do? Because perhaps, you know, after years and years of content marketing effort, there's been some dilution in, in what you do. But those AI-powered search results are not to be uh, scared of, you know, you don't have to be frightened. They are essentially just a more elegant way to present the same search results that we're seeing right now on normal search um, activities. This is really interesting, isn't it? And, and we've said on the show many times that SEO can be a bit of a black art, can it? And, and in the past, there was some really some genuine black arts going on in the background and uh, and and that sort of thing which sort again is is dangerous you don't want to bring the marketing industry into disrepute but again with all this hype about ai at the moment we do have to make sure that the basics are covered rather than getting carried away by the hype and the and the newness of these toys and 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 it always comes back to the basics and we keep saying this on the show and you've just you've just um, put that out there again really succinctly we have to just tell people who we are what we do and how we can help them and make sure that they can find us on the web that's it absolutely so what about you then have you found a masterpiece by any chance well, for content spotlights um, yeah this is interesting actually if you remember last week pascal one of the news items we discussed was how four out of five marketers apparently don't believe that price is that important anymore and actually four out of five marketers just almost see it's at the lowest in level of importance of the things that they do which I'm, I'm absolutely staggered by because of course price is one of the four p's of marketing and and we discussed last week that yes it's it's just again symptomatic that these days a lot of people just think that marketing is advertising oblique promotion and that's it it doesn't do anything else and people have forgotten about pricing they've forgotten about product development they've pro forgotten about distribution they've forgotten about research and all of that sort of thing and just as a complete coincidence i came across this article in um marketing week which actually led led me to a, a second article uh, that i just wanted to talk about briefly but i have have you noticed recently how many prices are actually going up I and mean, we see it because of the of the massive inflation so obviously fuel bills up across the world partially as a result of putin going into um into ukraine uh but you know there's all sorts of different things going on food prices going up my my um coffee from the um, cafe uh at the harbor has gone from two pounds 75 to uh three pound 10 in the space of a year so i actually take my coffee down in my uh, thermos mug now on a saturday to save myself a little bit of money i noticed that netflix are in Increasing their price. I got an email from Spotify yesterday saying that their prices are going up. So people are putting prices up. But this particular article was about Pret-a-Manger, the, the famous cafe and food chain. Now, what the article says is Pret-a-Manger credits its subscription service for a return to profit. Now, a few years ago, Pret launched this thing called Pret Club. And for £20 a month, which actually sounds quite a lot, but when you actually hear what you can get, it sounds quite reasonable. The Pret Club gives you up to five coffees a day, five coffees a day, plus a 10% discount on anything else that you can get from Pret. Now, if you actually 
took them up on that offer for 20 quid a month you could have five coffees a day costing around about three quid each you, you've broken even a two days later so it's a pretty good deal however because of the cost of um, coffee beans going up and the cost of um, electricity to heat those beans and to make the coffee they had to put their price up last year to 25 pounds now rather than put a load of people off and rather than see a lot of people dumping their subscriptions it actually increased not only their profits but the number of people signing up to it and marketing week put this down to amazingly simple clear communications as to how and why the price was going up so it wasn't just the sort of letter that i got from spotify yesterday saying we've tried to keep our prices at the same level for as long as we can but we can't anymore so it's going up which is basically what spotify say no no pretamonje basically said this is what you were getting for your 20 quid reiterating the value telling people reminding them five coffees a day potentially is what you can have for this telling them about the 10 percent and the off off anything else in the store reinforcing the value and then explaining why they were going to have to put the prices up explaining about the cost of coffee beans going up explaining about the cost of heating them electricity gas etc and saying even though we're putting this up by five pounds you're still getting amazing value for money and that kept the customers loyal that led to an increase in profits and the second article which i discovered in marketing week was actually saying that the communications surrounding this price increase has won an award for the best campaign of 2022 just let that sink in for a moment this isn't a campaign advertising a new um, uh, sexy toy or a new app or a new piece of software or a new type of burger or a new type of coffee this is a communications campaign telling people we're putting our prices up and it won an award how much more do you need to be proven that price is important and part of the marketing mix if they can do it as well as this i mean to me this is absolutely well deserved and clear simple and reasonable is what the judges said about this campaign it's clear it's simple and it's reasonable and it highlights the value and they put their prices up and since actually since this campaign they've actually had to do it again the price is now 30 pounds a month and they've carried people with them because they've focused on the simple message of value wow wow i mean hey on the fact that they got an award they did have drawn a masterpiece and you've done an amazing job summarizing this for us uh, strangely, we've done this again because without talking to each other, we've chosen two different content spotlights. There's a correlation about restating, you know, your your value to to your customers, whether that that does of what you do and what you can do for them, but also this clarity about your your, your pricing structure. And and I love the five. I mean, this this would become a case study um, if not already. The, the, this sign day of. You know the the fact that the judges recognised the power in the simplicity. That there was a time I sat through my fair share share of awards as a judge myself. There was a time where you you wanted campaigns to be complex and be more, um, you know, out there. And and I think it's probably actually very telling 
that not only you know do we have a real crisis globally about you know the the price of items that are on occasion just um, you, you can't do without, but also that you go as far as linking it to judges on on the panel that will welcome that simplicity and and, and the powerful impact on, on its on its audience. And, and what is interesting, I mean, Prasad Manjay, I've, I've had the highs and lows, you know, marketing wise, and we've shared a lot of that in in the in the news. But this is just um, a, a great way. Um, and this is why you know, uh, this podcast is so important to to create for you and I, because we highlight this to all of you viewers and listeners. Go and read the article, both of them, you know, go and watch the video and and act accordingly with, with your own. Do you, is it time to use a summer month, I'm thinking, Roger, mm-hmm. to uh, recapture the essence of who we are, what we do, and look at all four or seven Ps, if you prefer yeah, I think I think it it is definitely a good call, a good call that you've got there, Pascal. Reassess who you are and what you do and who for, and make it simple in how you communicate that. And it's part of the bedrock of a marketing strategy. Okay, I think it's time for us to go back in time, which means we're going to fire up the flux capacitor. We're going to set the controls of the TARDIS to head back to this week in history. And in 1971, Dave Scott becomes the first person to drive the battery-powered lunar rover as part of the Apollo 15 mission. Built by Boeing, the vehicle travelled 17.5 miles and collected 168 pounds of lunar materials to return to Earth. In 1985, the sci-fi comedy Weird Science, directed by John Hughes and starring Anthony Michael Hall, Ilian Mitchell Smith, Kelly LeBrock, Bill Paxton and Robert Downey Jr. is released in the US. In 2007, the US space probe Phoenix was launched, and a year later, it landed on Mars. Among its most important discoveries was the existence of water ice beneath the planet's surface. And in 2018, Apple becomes the first American public-listed company to reach $1 trillion in value. A trillion? How many? It's a lot of zeros on the checkbook. It's a lot of zeros. It's telephone numbers, isn't it? Now, are you a fan of weird science? Oh, my goodness. You know, this is just, <laughs> my memory is the most joyous moment when the whole family was watching Word Science on VHS cassette over and over again because it, it's got everything for all all ages. Um, but it's also, for me, a reflection on you and I and many of our viewers and listeners with, from the 80s or were around in the 80s. And being someone from the 80s, it's just a source of disappointment because to begin with, we didn't get the hoverboard as promised by Back to the Future. <laughs> and we certainly are not in a position to create somebody like Kelly LeBrock by just plugging a Barbie doll to some, some wires and into a computer screen. But the, the humor, the, the, the scenes, I mean, Bill Paxton as a big brother always had me um, in stitches. Uh, there's a scene, some of you remember what he says, you know, he comes back and the house is just utter chaos. And he says, if, you, if you've messed up my a bedroom I'll kill you and he walks in and he's snowing in his bedroom and the, the whole the whole movie is just wonderful it's like the apprentice sorcerer um made within the 80s but there's also some like big stars well they, they were not at the time but Robert Downey Jr who played essentially a prankster and mm-hmm. we know you know what the story held but what about your weird science the proper 80s fairs oh I mean again it's one of those those films where you're a teenage guy in the in the in the 80s were a lot of films like this where the lead lady was just a sort of almost like an infatuation at the time mm. everybody oh my god kelly lebrock it's one of those those moments isn't it where you just think um 
it's iconic for that very reason that we all had a crush on the lead lady in a film. But going a bit further back from Weird mm. Science to, a, to an actual piece of um, space hardware as opposed to science fiction hardware, that Apollo 15 mission built by Boeing, I didn't realise that, yeah. um, all that material. So... For, for me, what, what's remarkable, and this is where sometimes you know we think that things happened recently. So everybody's going on about electric cars, but look, it started in 1971. So this vehicle um, had to be folded. So literally, they managed to not only create a um, you know electrically powered vehicle, but it was folded so they didn't take too much space on the the space shuttle when when it left, and was was driven for quite quite a distance and brought back obviously all those uh, rocks and more and and for me the link is that which is we we owe an enormous amount to space exploration because you have the challenge of solving a problem this one was distance saying we've been a few times already but we couldn't we were limited to the walking distance and the oxygen tank so what can we do and then yeah but this vehicle is too big or we can't obviously um, go into space with um, fuel tanks just in case uh, and i can think so it's all about solving problems and then eventually it carries over to mainstream usage if, if you like but i had no idea that in 1971 we would already you know created battery powered vehicles that could take on um you know being on, on the moon yeah absolutely right no i mean again it's it's fascinating when you think this is over 50 years ago now that this was happening and um it, it, it we do need to be reminded don't we that, that, that these things were happening i mean again the the computing power of the entire uh apollo mission was smaller <laughs> than some of the the sort of pet computers and the ZX computers that we had in the late eighties. It, it's that staggering, isn't it? And, and the other space orientated bit of new of, mm. um, history here was the, the Phoenix uh, probe launching and landing on Mars. Now this is a lot more recent, but again, it's just, it, it's interesting that we're discovering water ice between the surface of Mars. Does that imply the once, back in history there was life on mars you know there's there's all this uh, congressional hearing going on in america yes. about ufos at the moment so who knows what 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 might be revealed or um you know what might may or may not come out but uh, this is this is real potential evidence that there may have been life on mars at some point way back in the past yeah, well, certainly uh, I'm pretty sure now that people are, are in agreement that at a microbial level that, that, that there was something, you know, uh, for sure. Um, so, so to me, it, it's back to, you know, the, the, this idea of um, what we can do today or where the thinking, you know, where the thinking goes today goes back 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. I mean, you and I spoke about stuff that were taking place in the uh, 17th century. Yeah. And then you can link him back to the very first calculator and so on. So when I, on occasion, reflect about AI or, you know, discussion we've had about uh, things, having a sense of history can give you a better sense of direction, I think. Mm. And and once again, I, I think that this segment, This Week in History, is immense fun i mean going down in a memory lane with you is always is but it's actually quite grounding and reassuring that you know things do happen for a reason that there is a sense of again the evolution of a solution that or a problem 
that was uh, you know looked at and the solution that that was essentially um, you know invented by people who really had the best of intentions. Absolutely right. So let's bring ourselves right back into the present, Pascal. We always owe such a massive debt to the people in the past that created the world that we live in now. And the world that we live in now is festooned with technology and apps. So let's talk about marketing tech and apps. Okay, Pascal, tell me what technological wonders have you discovered for us this week? Well, I think some hammers have stumbled upon a theme of going back to key principles and, you know, learning from what's happening now. I need to go back to the X story. I won't spend any time on it, but I have a feeling, I have a feeling that what we're seeing with X and Elon Musk's behavior is going to accelerate a trend that you and I have already spotted, which is people essentially growing disinterest and disengaging from social media. Um, if you take the view that typically in any social network, a third of people have an account, they don't use it that much. A third are used occasionally and a third use it a lot. I think the group of people who use it occasionally or not at all are going to move on because for them, platforms like X becomes, like I said, the environment for the exuberance of a very rich man. And they say, this is this is not for me. And interestingly, um, when you and I were posting on LinkedIn and Twitter about views, um, somebody um, called Gus Bandal actually um, put um, a comment on my LinkedIn post yesterday. And he himself wrote a bit of an open letter, um, which starts, okay, Twitter, or whatever you're called, I think I'm done. I'll put the link in in the show notes. But essentially, it's a really good, you know, open letter saying, you know, you've done some amazing things addressing um, Twitter. And the word goes as far as Gus saying, I still love you. You're still brilliant in some ways, but it's so hard to watch you slow decline into oblivion. And I think there's some truth in in all of that, isn't it? And then people say, you know, I'm mildly interested in Twitter, but I can't be part of this circus. And he carries on saying, I tried hanging on, but I I just can't. And uh, so long, old pal, we had some good times, X. And... (laughs) Gus, um, Paul Hintz, you also had some comments on your the shortest LinkedIn post you know, ever. And, and I think this is what the mood is saying. But you and I talked about the number of hours reducing on people sending on social media is going to carry on. People are going to get more and more upset about data privacy. You name it. So my position would be that it is likely there's going to be, uh, in some circles, a welcome return to long-form blogging to long-form newsletters and that kind of things. And as a result of which, to reconnect yourself with your long-form content creation skills, if you've been doing more micro-content on social media, there's two things that people to do. The first one, reconnecting with your audience, and um, you must you know, seek out um, Roger's kind of uh, outburst in a positive way about you know this obsessive uh, attention to details and your understanding of your audience. I would recommend to seek out HubSpot. I've done some amazing job on creating customer avatar templates. You literally put those terms, customer avatar templates from HubSpot on your favorite search engine, whether it's AI-powered or not, <laughs> and you'll find the hyperlink. And that's going to give you a great start. They are actually very cleverly Word document or PowerPoint presentation. You can just populate with your, your word. So once you've reconnected with who you your audience truly is and kind of clear the, the fog, perhaps created by this in a constant microblogging, I would like people to do a Google search against terms that will present what they do, 
or the impact they can have on their customers and actually be curious about different results, not just one you can see right there in front of you. I want people to look at panels on Google in particular called People Also Ask and Related Searches. People Also Ask and Related Searches literally are going to give you the structure of your long-form content because these are the subset and the sub-subset of questions and information gathering behavior taken from the Google database itself. So there's going to be a decline in the interest people have in using social media over time, as a result of which their internet time would be spent elsewhere. I think would be spent on um, specialist forums, I think, uh, as a replacement. And they're going to be spent on website and be spent actually reconnecting with online newsletter. We all need collectively to reconnect with long-form content creation. Step one, get your customer avatar sorted. Step two, become curious about the in-depth um, kind of levels of information gathering by using the uh, rated searches and people also ask. Yeah, we've been talking for a long time about you shouldn't build your house on sand. Um, that mm. analogy has always been used. You know, it's all right if you've got a million Twitter followers, but what happens if um, Musk destroys Twitter? You know, you might have a hundred thousand million uh, YouTube subscribers, but what happens if YouTube disappears? You know, there's always that argument that you should have your own email list. You should have your own website where you can publish your own content for people to find naturally in search so timely lesson there pascal i went down a bit of a rabbit hole for my marketing tech and apps this week um, and i started thinking um about uh, um looking outside of your normal areas for inspiration and ironically we talked earlier about the chinese app wechat which is um what um elon musk is looking to emulate with his X rebrand of Twitter. Uh, but for some reason, I got attracted to a load of apps that are actually from South Korea. Um, mm -hmm. Now, uh, I, I don't use these apps, but I, I started having a look at them this week purely because I quite liked the fact that they were different and yet the same if you know what I mean. And I guess, obviously, from a cultural point of view, um, South Korea is obviously a lot different to Europe, UK, France, etc. So they will do things slightly differently. And it's always interesting to look outside of your environment to get inspiration, isn't it, as to how you might do things differently. And I guess Korea, uh, we've, we've seen a lot of um, entertainment style content coming from from um, South Korea. We obviously had the Squid Games, which was a massively, massively successful uh, Netflix series. There's been some other um, South Korean um, series on Netflix as well. There was a, f a film called The Train to Bazan, which oh, yeah. is a fabulous um, a zombie movie, which is incredible, worth seeing. And of course, there's a there's a phenomenon phenomenon called K-pop, uh, which is uh, effectively pop music bands from Korea is a massive genre followed by teenagers all over the world. It's not my cup of tea. I'm still a, a heavy metal prog rock person at heart, but <laughs> you can't you can't get away from the fact that K-pop is remarkably popular and if you put k-pop into into spotify you'll find quite a lot of stuff that you never knew existed so these apps sort of relate to that but what really attracted me to them was that they were just 
a different way of doing things. So the first one is um, an app that help that allows you to um, edit video. Now it's called I don't know whether it's Kinemaster or Cinemaster, spelt with a K instead of a C, but we'll say it's Kinemaster, and it's 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 a it's a video editing app along the lines of um, InShot, along the lines of um, uh, the the Adobe Express. But I just love the interface on this. It's slightly different. It looks really intuitive, and um, the the effects that you can get and you now have to pay for quite a lot of money unfortunately uh, are really quite interesting so if you want something a little bit different to try that maybe will stimulate your creativity around video editing have a look at kinemaster the next one is called webtoon um and this is effectively an app that allows you to read comics now of course a lot of the comics and, and that are available on this app are anime type um, that, that sort of uh, specific style of, car of cartoon comic book. But again, the interface is gorgeous in the way that you can swipe between the pages of the comic comics. You can either have the entire page of the comic or you can zoom in on individual frames of the comic. So I, I just love that interface. And, and, and the art, some of the artwork is absolutely incredible. And then the third one is called Weverse. Um, and again, that reminded me of WeChat a little bit. And Weverse is a specific community app for people who like K-pop. So if you have a K-pop band that you're following, join, you can join this Weverse, and it's likely that that group will be in there, and they'll be posting their own unique content that you can only get in the Weverse app. You might be able to have a discussion with them on their community page, etc., etc. So, yeah, a little bit of a of a sideline this week, a little bit of a of a South Korean shaped rabbit hole gave me a few in, few ideas and a few inspirations just because they do things just slightly differently, mainly the interfaces, but I, I really quite recommend having a look at these, even if you don't end up using them. Just have a look at them just to see how subtly different they've done this technology. I think it's important. Um, in, you, know, you and I are always anxious about you know, coming across with our communication that's a bit different. I mean, part of marketing is to stand out from the white noise. And yet you're right, it's been our claim from the get-go that you need to look elsewhere for inspiration. Um, I don't mind you looking at the competition a little bit, but that's all you do by accidentally end up plagiarizing each other. So looking elsewhere, that there could be different territories, as you've just done, or different sectors is very important. So yeah, I'm definitely going to look at those. Okay, Pascal, we are here at the part of the show which I know is one of your favourites. It's definitely <laughs> one of mine. It's film marketing, and we're going to talk about one of the biggest summer blockbusters for many a year. So come back after this. Well, it's film marketing, and this week we're going to be talking about Oppenheimer, which is one of... And quite a few summer blockbusters that we're seeing uh, coming out across the world this year. We've we've already had the Indiana Jones film, we've had Mission Impossible and Oppenheimer, and funnily enough, it seems to have gone up against Barbie. And what, mm. what's the what's the port, what's the hash together thing that everybody's calling it? Barbieheimer, is it? Or there's Barbieheimer like and there's Barbenheimer. Depending Barbenheimer. On, I think that Barbenheimer is the one that seems to be more popular as a hashtag. Yeah, okay. But we are going to focus on Oppenheimer. We're not going to get <laughs> sidetracked by Barbie. So let's have a look at the trailer. 
This is a national emergency. Didn't need a charge. We're in a race against the Nazis. start 18 how could you possibly know that we've got one hope all america's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here secret laboratory keep everyone there until it's done let's go recruit some scientists build a town build it fast we don't let scientists bring their families, we'll never get the best. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world? You're the great improviser, but this... you can't do in your head. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero would be nice. This is a matter of life and death. But I can perform this miracle. World War II would be over. Our boys would come home. It's happening, isn't it? World will remember this day. Our work here will ensure a peace mankind has never seen. Until somebody builds a bigger one. You are the man who gave them the power to destroy themselves. And the world is not prepared. Wow, there's a lot of orange in this marketing. Mm. There's a lot of orange in the um, in the trailer, uh, the explosion of I imagine of the atomic bomb. But there's a lot of orange and a lot of flames across a lot of the marketing, including the posters. Pascal, this is your choice of film. I don't think either of us have seen it, unless you've seen it in the last few days. I definitely no. haven't seen it. So, what 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 drew you to Oppenheimer? So for me, it, it, it was twofold. I, I was thinking, you know, the challenge of um, making a movie about certainly an event or the outcome of, of, of an event that we all know it's like, you know, going and see Titanic and thinking, what would you want to go and see a film where you know for a fact that the ship is going to be hit by an ice cube, anybody dies pretty much. What would you want to go and see a film like this? And then what, what is interesting is, is back to because history is important. And there are many ways in which history can be shared. You, know, you can read books, you can go to museums and so on and so forth. 
health. And I think the timing is also very, very interesting because sadly, and interviews given by Christopher Nolan reveals that he's of our age group. So he's lived through the Cold War. Um, he remembers certainly the one um, bit in the song from Sting, Russians, about, you know, how can I save my um, little boy from Oppenheimer's deadly toy? Mm-hmm. But he himself wasn't completely au fait of uh, this man, his story, his contribution. We all know vaguely the notion of the Manhattan Project. We all know vaguely the notion of the test and then what happened in Japan and so on. But we we, we, we don't have the thread through. And that, therefore, this is Christopher Nolan's contribution together with all the producers and actors saying, there is a moment in history that we must not forget because more recently we're seeing a return to well, extreme views. We're seeing you know, a return to tension between countries that we believed were, were at peace. And... But how do you still make it something that people can say, this is entertaining, this is cinema, this is something that I want to go and see? And as and uh, for me, it was just fascinating because ultimately you could say this is far, far too dark and somber. I'll pass and go see something far more colorful and glitzy and go and see Barbie. But and on the contrary, if anything, people have gone and see both of them. So I myself, at the time of recording, I'm going tomorrow to go and see Oppenheimer. Yeah, I mean, we will we will undoubtedly um, have to sit through this as well. And, and I'm a bit like you; it's it's a must see film. I, I have to say, it's probably not top of my list. Mm-hmm. I think I think that the the, the, um, the the subject matter is disturbing to a certain extent. And again, it, you know, we 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 always have fond memories of the '80s, thinking back to the music that we <laughs> liked, and thinking back to Kelly Brook and and uh, and Porky's and all that, and, and the happy memories we have of the '80s. But I also remember in the '80s being really quite scared from mm-hmm. time to time. You know, when you hear the area air attack warning, you and your family must take cover, whatever it was, and, you know, those uh, protect and survive leaflets that got put through the door telling us how to create a nuclear um, shelter under the stairs and that sort of thing. So I do have memories of being a child mm. and being scared of the potential of nuclear war. Uh, and and I think that you're right. It is absolutely important that we we embrace a film like this. Plus the fact that, of course, it's it's a film by Christopher Nolan, and we have reviewed a few Christopher Nolan films on the show uh, over time. Tenet being one of them. I think he did uh, Memento as well, didn't That's he? That's right. Yes. Um, and we've we've covered that film, so we know that it's going to be a film that is worth seeing. We know the storytelling will be epic. I imagine there'll be a little bit of time shifting going on because he never tells stories in a linear way, does he? Uh, but that's all thats all part of the way that Christopher Nolan does things. So yeah, definitely definitely want to see. But what about the marketing, Pascal? Okay, so announcements that, you know, work was underway was 2021-ish, you know. Um, but really, as an audience, you know, people have been forgiven to forget that he was working on that. It was the teaser poster released in the summer of 2022. And, you know, I'll put it for you in the show notes, but it was quite an arresting, um, you know, teaser poster. I mean, literally, um, the, the whole poster is just occupied by a cloud 
cloud of smoke and dust, we assume, following the nuclear explosion. And it's got that orange, that kind of fire and brimstone, ochre um, kind of feel. And there's a dark silhouette you know, at, the, at the very, very bottom, we assume, that to be of um, Oppenheimer. Mm. And you have, which I think is very interesting, so you've got Oppenheimer, which is uh, quite a long a surname, you know, lots of letters to occupy. They announced back then, you know, the date, you know, will be the 21st of July, 2023. But they put the, the, the date, like, stretched out. So the 7th of July is under the letter O, the 21st is under the letter H, and 23. So it's really stretched out. And it makes me think of that kind of... Um, I was doing a physics at college and we tried to memorize, you know, the, the table of all the different numbers and, and symbols and so on, which I still can't to this day, just didn't speak to me. And you have also, which I think is a very, very important, the strap line, the world forever changes. And at the very bottom shot with IMAX film cameras and this ongoing um, theme of the technical kind of challenge and breakthroughs of making the film in IMAX, including black and white IMAX, is something that they repeat over and over again. And I think it's all to do with this idea of um, this needs to be seen at the cinema. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to bring the poster again. Something like only at the movies is 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 used uh, quite 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 a bit there. But you know, again, a poster, you go, oh my goodness. I mean, I'm not going to go and see a very pleasant movie. No, I mean, it's a striking poster. It's simple as well. It's gloriously simple. Uh, just as an aside, I think it's quite funny, isn't it? Oppenheimer, what a fabulous name. I mean, it it wouldn't have had the same impact if he'd been called Burt Jones or, or Alex Smith. Smith, would it? You know, Oppenheimer. I mean, it just, somebody who invented such devastating weapons had to have a name like Oppenheimer or Blofeld, didn't it? It couldn't have been something mm. normal. But that's a, that's an aside. That's an aside. And then there was another poster that came out, uh, I think we're talking December 2022, similarly simple, similarly evo evocative, and a very similar colour palette. Yeah, and but this one surprised me because it's such a departure from the, the the teaser poster and even the one that comes next, which is the official poster. What we have is a close-up of, once again, we assume Oppenheimer's head looking through a portal and the glow, the orange glow of what we have to uh, agree is the explosion when they did the first test and and kind of looking into you know the result of, the, of this creation. And... For me, having now read just enough, because I want any spoilers about the making of and the, the motivation of Chris Nolan and the others, it's back to this idea of a group of individuals who had to go through the anguish of the decision-making to do something truly horrible before people worse than them, the Nazis at the time, mm -hmm. and therefore having to just look in probably a mix of horror, but also, I'm guessing, some form of satisfaction that it has worked You know, after the first explosion. Yeah, and then we move on to the official poster, as you say. Mm. Again, similar striking orange and browns. Maybe a little bit more complex. This I think we've got the the uh, the, the mechanism of the atomic bomb there in the background, with Cillian Murphy taking centre stage. But you still got all of that typography you've talked about, still mm. highlighting IMAX, etc. But yeah, it, it is it is a striking image. 
Yeah, and interestingly, uh, yesterday I went to see Mission Impossible, um, the one you walk in, because it's been out for a couple of weeks, uh, Oppenheimer and Barbia, all over the um, the building, and they use all three posters, uh, depending on the d- d- different part of the building. But but this one is the one that people know, so he's got, I assume to be the bomb behind him, this kind of menacing, uh, looming figure, ball full of wires and, and, and kind of uh, metal extension. And what is very interesting is they use different shapes. So you've got mm-hmm. the, squ- the square stroke portrait one is dead center, but very smartly they've also used one where the um, the montage of the bomb and Oppenheimer with Killian Murphy is offset to the right to mm-hmm. suit you know social media, sometimes offset to the left mm-hmm. to suit you know text on on the things. So you know back to you know it takes time and thinking to do marketing people and um, this is you know what, what they've done but three posters um been used well and of course they are accompanied by trailers and tv radio spots um trailers we, we now know it is it's the way of doing things you have more than one trailer which I, I don't know um it is what it is but one thing they've done uniquely for this movie is to release a teaser trailer on the 28th of july 2022 mm-hmm. so pretty much a year before the release of the film. And at the end of this trailer, there was a live countdown to, you know, 5 o'clock, uh, 5.29 uh, in the morning, mountain summertime, the US time, for July the 16th of 2023. It's nearly a year later. So a year-long countdown to coincide with the 78th anniversary of the first detonation of the atomic bomb. So literally you had this video, um, Roger, that was live on YouTube for nearly, eight and a half thousand hours (laughs) so you had this countdown and of course it was compelling so near the very very end fans went online and when it got to zero so when the count went to zero there was a special 20 second video being played with montage from the film and the final word which i think are uttered by robert jr um, which you can hear say the man who moved the earth (laughs) <laughs> and then that's it. And then and then he, and then it's gone. So it doesn't exist anymore. You have to find essentially copies of copies of fans who were there live that morning in the US to watch, you know, the final countdown and the message from the filmmakers. No, that's very clever. That's very clever. I love that idea. But there's, there's quite a lot of video um, um, support for this film going on. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there was the uh, teaser trailer, the uh, feature trailer. There was all all sort of things, you know, going down. They even offered what they call the opening look because one thing that is being claimed by, by the movie is twofold. There's the imagery, there's black and white IMAX, there's color IMAX, but there's also the, the music by Ludwig Granson, and there's also incredible sound effects. I mean, when we watch the trailer, when you watch the teaser trailer, the sound of that Geiger counter, that we've learned to, mm. you know, to link to something dangerous that you, you know, get away is just is just uh, absolutely uh, amazing. But one thing that um, you know is, is remarkable about the the IMAX is sometimes people say IMAX and then not really pay attention to it. But this was done in very uniquely whereby you know the, the prints were double the size of normal kind of movie seventy mm. um, millimeters. But there's also the sheer weight of it. So when the theatres got the IMAX um, version, they had to create a special uh, projection machine. They had to actually add elements because it was so heavy. 
it was nearly 150 kilograms of film and nearly uh, you know six and a half kilometers in in kind of length so the previous films were not as heavy and not as long so they had to and they made special documentaries about that as well <laughs> that's incredible isn't it i mean um, i just assume these days that most films aren't really films they're just digital files that play mm. uh, from a projector but this was actually genuine film even though it was big film it was still celluloid the Chris Nolan is asked often, why do you not like CGI? Why do you do practical effects? And in this film, allegedly, he got permission to create this uh, the biggest explosion in, in film. It was very dangerous and they had to be away. And he said, because you can't trick the eye that much, not yet, and people mm -hmm. will be able to tell. So I'm, I'm thinking as well that the very first teaser poster was you know, a photo of the real explosion with all the dust and so on, because that would be very hard to mimic uh, with CGI. But we're in luck, because one thing that you and I have kind of um, on occasion be disappointed about and bemoans was a lack of a website to go mm. back to, particularly mm. when we do uh, film marketing reviews. There is a website and it is actually a very good website in terms of um, you know, adding to the experience uh, of the film. I don't know that you've had a chance to go to the website just yet, so I'm going to keep it short not to spoil uh, the surprise. So to begin with, it's by immersion. So you have the music in there, it still has that amber, orange, ochre, black color themes. You can essentially watch the trailers, of course, and watch the look at the posters. But when you first go for the first visit, you have a very short animation, text only, that tells you about the legend of Prometheus. Um, some people may know it because we reviewed the movie <laughs> of the same name on film marketing, this idea of, of the semi-god who gifted the, the fire to humans on earth and got punished by by the gods themselves and in fact um when you do the research you know that the, the film is vastly inspired by the book written called american prometheus so you have this reminder by the legend which i think is interesting so because it is essentially about this could be a, a big mistake you know um, um creating the, the atomic bomb um but the biggest element is a 3d interactive map that takes you to the key locations linked to the historical event from Oppenheimer's office to the site of the first test and, and, and so on and so forth. And what I've done actually very cleverly, it's a very, very simple swipe system for mobile phones. So literally mm -hmm. you can imagine someone holding the phone <clears throat> and with their thumb just swiping up and then the map moves around, you know, dif different locations and, and, and so on. Um, one thing that surprised me a lot about the, the, this website, whilst it is stunning, as you would expect, from the post of the trailers and the film, and he really belonged to the family of you know Oppenheimer as as an experience. What would you want to embed the videos from YouTube? <laughs> that literally took me away, Roger. You know, because I, I mean, frankly, you could just embed them natively and keep you know the experience intact. Because of course, what happens when you finish watching video on YouTube? You get recommendation for uh, some are still linked to the Universal Pictures YouTube channel, but you also get a lot of rubbish. So I just thought that was a, an, an odd decision, or maybe it wasn't a decision. It was just uh, it needs to needs to an end. But um, yeah, there's a website. At long last, we have a website to turn our attention to. No, and let's hope, Pascal, that the website hangs around for a while and that they, they actually keep it, uh, you know, keep it fresh because we've seen so many times in our um, uh, film marketing deliberations that fabulous websites to support films are often just um, 
left to left to fade away or left to rot or just taken down really quite quickly uh so this one looks like it deserves to be enjoyed now but also it's it's sort of the one one that you could revisit in the future so let's hope they keep it where it is yeah because there, there are obviously um, you know information historical information this trivia and so on so you could literally watch the film and go and see the web the website and, and inform yourself i think actually they should expand on the website mm. and keep adding to it um moving forward and, and make it maybe a point for you know for schools as well as for film fans fans like like you, you and i um because typically to your point you know a website exists and then it's changed to a link to let's say the the distribution studios you know on a, on a really boring landing page where they say well you can watch it now on hulu or netflix but there's no more of, of that um of that communication I, i'm just going to close very quickly on um, another marketing decision which are around the featurettes mm -hmm. and again uh, it, it's it's done very often i will say that i've not watched them because i thought there's going to be full of spoilers it has to be <laughs> yes you know so but it's almost this uh, angle of um, no need to wait for the Blu-ray extras. We're going to give it to you. Yeah. So you've got things like, you know, why this uh, shot in IMAX um, for IMAX and, and the they, they've got a whole historical background about, you know, which they call pushing the, uh, the button, the cast, of course, talking about both the characters. That, and I have to say, you know, that must be such a monumental uh, decision to, uh, take on the role of someone that has existed, maybe still alive, mm -hmm. and and all those characters. You've got obviously the, the the infamous first test of the the atomic bomb, and then happily, because you and I are a huge fan of music composition, they have a featurette on the the score of Oppenheimer and what they've done about it. But happily or not, they said, don't, don't you worry, um, go to the movies. You don't have to wait and delay thinking the blue would be better um, uh, with the extras because we're going to give you the extras right now. That's, that's something I've never really thought about before, but I do genuinely wonder now how many people think, do you know what, let's not go to the cinema to see this. We'll wait till it comes out on Blu-ray because we know we're going to get all the extras. Whereas mm. here they're basically saying, we'll give you them now so you can come to the cinema to see the film. <laughs> I do quite actually like that. So, yeah, absolutely some stunning visuals to accompany this and for once a fabulous website. And, yep, yeah, all of those, uh, all of those features featurettes and, and trailers and everything added together. It's quite a marketing package, isn't it? It is. And listen, what we do as film marketing, you know, you and I have a give us up a brief. We stick to the marketing effort um, from the producers and distributors themselves. But uh, literally, if I had time, I would tell you about all the media coverage, mm. all the interviews, uh, press, radio and TV, all the kind of um, fun Q and A's with like Wired, you know, where they ask people to answer questions from Google, starting with a question, "Why does Robert Downey Jr.?" and then there's a blank, and then you know whatever Google completes, you know, they have to answer. So those are fun. Um, so I think for, from a point of view of um, you know the, the marketing control sustained, they stuck to their color themes, they stuck to you know um, I would argue a, a strategy. And then the rest is about the PR machine. And uh, between those two, um, Barbenheimer or Barbieheimer, uh, I couldn't care less. I think, you know, what has <laughs> been um, very interesting, however, is that the media has stopped peating, uh, you know, like bands or movies or, or 
or, or location against each other. You know, once I first, I thought, first, sorry, I thought this was a bit daft, you know, this Barbenheimer. What this was telling us that there's a shift, a change in mood about, actually, it's about cinema. It's about going to the movies. And we should welcome the fact that people can still make movies, that they're still profitable so we can see them for years to come. So the message from TV, radio, and social media was more, it was not again, don't go and see Oppenheimer, go and see uh, Barbie. They said, go and see both of them. Mm-hmm. And to that point, Killing Murphy was recorded on, on you know, some TikTok video where he was saying to people, go and see both, you know, go and see my movie, you know, Oppenheimer, and go and see, uh, go and see Barbie, it supported the movie industry. And at a time where I don't know where we are with a strike, you know, for actors and writers, but um, audiences, you know, let's let's do that. Let's go and see both if we can. I have to say, Pascal, I'm <laughs> suspecting that Barbie might be a Blu-ray film for us, but I hope you enjoy Oppenheimer tomorrow, and I'm sure thank we'll you. enjoy it when we get round to going to see it. Well, everybody, thank you so much once again for tuning into Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Hope you enjoyed all of the things that Pascal and I have been talking about this week. If you've got any questions or any comments on what we've talked about, get in touch with us. Get in touch with us on Twitter or X or whatever it's called this week. Um, Talk to us on LinkedIn. Leave a comment on the YouTube video. And we'd just love to hear your suggestions for future items of content we can talk about, marketing tech and apps and films that you'd like us to review. So until next time, please go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni. Mm-hmm.